So I woke up real quickly that I need to do something. I feel like God gave me the courage. Courage to think about escaping. It's very dangerous, but I had to do it. My guest today authored the book, How I Survived the Killing Fields, which was honored in 2015 and details the impacts and wisdom gained from her experience as a survivor of the mass genocide in Cambodia, which lasted from 1975 to 1979. As a speaker, she shares how tenacity, perseverance, and faith are required values to conquer fear and reach success. My guest is Sarah Im. I'm Aidan Nippon, and this is The Changed Podcast. This is episode 54 of The Changed Podcast. Here's Sarah's story. I will take you on a journey from my childhood to um, to college age because my parents believe in higher education. After I graduated, I went to college, and the college is far away from home. It's about 350 miles or so. It was in the capital city of, of Cambodia. It's called Phnom Penh. So I was away from everybody that I love. In 1975, while I was away from home, the communist Khmer Rouge took over our country. And they they came in in the military style. Military style proceeding into the city with military truck, big tank, and the soldiers carried big gun on their shoulders, just marched into the city. And I was peeping through the window. And I saw some people wave the the white flag, the neighbors and the you know, the people that are just standing by and walking and watching them proceeding in military and they they was cheering on and say, Peace, peace so now they 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 think that it will be peaceful. There's no more fighting. But to our surprise, the next day there were they those soldiers come door to door and looking for people. They pointing the gun at us and demand that we leave right away. Leave, go, go well. We don't know where to go. They just want us to get out from the house immediately and just just live, live. So everybody pour ourselves out in the street. So the street become very crowded, hot, and we just follow each other, trying to walk in the crowded street. And we keep walking away from the city. That's what they want. They don't want us to stay in the city anymore. And and I realized that all the city in Cambodia are just like that. But I happen to be in the capital city where the most people live. And uh, 
I walked miserably in the heat, and for weeks we were walking. We sleep on the ground. We eat a little bit of food that we carry from home. If we run out of food, that's it. We have to be hungry. There's no more food to buy, and all everything was shut down. Complete shutdown. This is a, a total pandemic. There's no more marketplace. There's more no restaurant or grocery store, school, or bus, or post office, anything. So I could not reach out to my home, to my family, to find out what happened to them. Um, I was terrifying. Was so so anxious and fearful. But after a few weeks of walking and sleeping on the ground, I end up in a, a small village, where uh, the, the people in the village they are already prepare that the big crowd from the city is coming. So some of the some of them will take a few people in their home and then provide us a place to sleep temporary until we make our own place. So. Um, And then they push us to work to go to work in the right field, and there I was fearful also because I never been taught how to do anything in the field. But if the, there was one good thing coming, they make announcement that if anybody would like to move to Batambang, Batambang is. The province where my families live. Mm-hmm. When I heard the word "Badamwang," I'm just so excited. I said, "Okay, me, I will sign up." I signed up right away. At that time, um, my uncle also there uh, with me. We we um, eva- we got evacuated together. Um, I found my uncle, so I. I went with him. So my uncle decided to bring his whole family to move with me. So on the day that they moved us, we all moved together. They put us on the bus, on the the, the boat, and then on the train, and then they drop us in the middle of nowhere. I was so disappointed. I was expecting to get to Batambang, but this is like in the middle of nowhere, They're like almost the jungle. But we cannot argue, we cannot protest. So we we just obey what they want us to do. So we had to build our own our own house, own place to live with the. Whatever leaves and woods that we can gather. So to make a long story short, we make a shelter for ourselves, and then my uncle and his wife went to work in the field, and I was helping out with their children. And then shortly after we get settled there, they have another announcement. They are looking for single men and women. Who want to volunteer to to get trained so that we 
might have a chance to go help out the village nearby. So when I heard that, I volunteered again because I don't want to get stuck in the middle of nowhere. I said, you know, this might be an opportunity for me to travel, to find my family. So I volunteered. This time, big disappointment. I got stuck in this big camp. There were 1,000 of us, single men and women. And when we get to that camp, they present us with the rule. Their rule is so ridiculous that we cannot do this, cannot do that, cannot do that. And we have to work long hours for night, 16 hours a day, and very little time to sleep. And they give us very little food to eat. There, there was a kitchen that they prepare food for all 1,000 people, but the food was not enough. So we were starved and hungry and exhausted. So pretty soon, many of us got sick, and me too, I become very sick. So um, I keep pushing myself to go to work every day because if I don't work, I don't get food to eat and um, I might get punishment. So keep pushing until I cannot work anymore. When anybody that cannot go to work, they don't want us to stay there. They send us to another place. And that place is the infirmary for the sick people. Stay and wait for the time for us to die. There was nothing to help us to get better. So when I realized the situation is very bad, I realized I should not stay in this place because I will get more disease. I cannot handle that. So I will die as a result. And I cannot really run away because I was too sick. And uh, I cannot go back to work. So I was stuck. This is the time when I search inside, looking for my way, my way out of this situation. I was trapped. I don't know what to do. There is no option for me to choose. And when I was thinking about how do I make it? How do I survive this situation? I remember when I was young, I enjoyed listening to my mom reading the book. She she loved to read the book. And one of the books that she read, I remember that story so vividly. In the story, there was a maiden person who grabbed other people's children and a wife, and he abused them. And it took God. There was God who saw what he did to the children and the woman. And and God sent his angel to rescue the children and the woman. From this story, I made up my mind since I was young. I believe that there is God. So that's my belief. I believe God exists and he knows everything. Now that I am in danger, I am about to die. 
I thought of that God and I pray and I ask God to help me to survive. So I, I pray every night, waiting for nighttime. Not just one or twice, many, many nights. And then one more early, one morning I got up very early before everybody else. And I feel like I have a little bit strength today. So maybe I can walk out from here. So I did. I sneak out. And when I got out from the infirmary, I went to the, the, the place where the working people stay. And I met one kind team leader. She's young and she saw me and she feels sympathy for me. And she took me in her group and she said, you stay with me. I might find something for you to do. But she realized that I'm still too sick to do anything for her. But she she went ahead and talked to the people at the kitchen. And she asked them to see if they want, if they can do some help. And they say yes. So she sent me to work in the kitchen. That's how God answered my prayer. God sent me to meet a kind person. And he sent me to work in the kitchen. And in the kitchen, I had more access to food. And I worked less hours. I worked in the shade, not in the heat all day long. So gradually, I started to feel better. Start to feel better. Then, eventually, I shut off some of the, the serious disease, and I, I re, like almost recovered, but not quite, not a hundred percent. But when the the team leaders saw me look better, feel better, they pulled me out from the kitchen and throw me back to work in the rice field again. So from there, I realized that even though I could not stay in the kitchen forever, but the kitchen gave me a break, gave me the time for me to recover. So I did not die. I was so close to death before I get out from the infirmary. So I continued to work in the rice field for three more years. So. So toward the end of the four years, all together, it's almost four years, this camp start to move. The people move the camp and they move closer and closer to the jungle. And I realized, wow, if I keep staying with them, I would live in the jungle. There's no way I can find my family in the jungle. So I woke up real quickly that I need to do something. I feel like God gave me the courage. Courage to think about escaping. It's very dangerous, but I had to do it. So I talked to three of my close friends. I asked them if they would come with me. I need help because I cannot do it alone. I was frail again. So my friend accept my my plea and they said, Yes, I'll go with you. 
after we made a dangerous escape and we were successful. It was very difficult, very dangerous, and very risky, but we made it, we made it out. So we walked through the jungle all night long until the next morning we realized that we were free. You're free at last. So we keep going and going until my goal was to look for my family. So when I saw some people, I asked for direction. And finally, after a long, long walk, I found my family. I, I abbreviate my, my journey, but, but at the end, I was able to reunite it with my family. So it was a very happy ending for me. Up next, my conversation with Sarah M. Hi, Sarah. Welcome. I appreciate you joining me on the Changed podcast today. Hi, Aiden. Thank you so much for having me today. You have clearly been through quite a lot in your life, and we're going to get to some of those details in a bit. But for, before we do that, I just wanted to get a sense of you. So these days you work as a speaker, you travel around, you're an author. Um, did you ever imagine that your life would turn out the way it has turned out? Never. No, this is um, totally different than I ever imagined my life would be. In a good way, I hope? In a good way. Very good way. Thank you. <laughs> What's one of your like guilty pleasures when you're traveling? Something like for me, I'll watch really terrible television when I'm in a hotel room, which I never do. At, well, these days I also watch terrible television at home, but it's like a guilty pleasure when I'm traveling to allow myself to watch TV. I would never watch at home. What's a guilty pleasure <laughs> of yours when you're on the road? Oh, guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. Probably eat a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I, <laughs> I am curious. So, you know, the key word for this podcast is change. That is the center of, of what I am the most curious about. And I'm curious for you when you hear the word change, like, what does the word mean to you? What is the meaning of that word in your life? Well, the word change brought by bad memory because of the bad change in my life. Mm -hmm. But not much anymore. I realized that, that that bad change, it happened once, maybe in, in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. But the next chain, it's a lot easier. So I adopt chain a lot better now that I understand the full meaning of the chain. The chain can be abrupt, can be dangerous, can be life-threatening. But mm -hmm. since that big change happened to my life, now I'm not fearful of the new change anymore because I know how to handle it. What was your life like before 
1975. My life was peaceful. Um, I was born in in the farmer's family. My parents are farmers, and we live in the countryside. And I was the firstborn, so I experienced tremendous love from my family. I I feel loved and secure, and I was a happy child. Um, I'm always happy. What was? Uh, do you remember what your sort of everyday routine was like at that time? At a young age, daily routine was school. Go to yeah. school and come back and play, and that's that's about it. And my parents did not want me to help out in the farm because they did not want me to grow up as a farmer. <laughs> they believe in they believe in higher education, so they encouraged me to stay do stay home doing homework. Just enjoy your study. So that's what I experienced doing. And after I finish my homework, I do drawing. I love to draw. I I have a little desk. I sit on the floor and draw. I love to draw. What kind <laughs> of pictures would you draw? I usually draw the a woman's picture, mm-hmm. and most of the time, just a portrait picture. But once in a while, I draw the trees, the fruit trees, and, mm-hmm. you know, just pencil drawing. Do you still enjoy drawing now? I did not have much time to do the drawing, but <laughs> sometimes when I I went to a, a different hairstylist, and they want to know what kind of hairstyle do I want. Mm-hmm. If I have a hard time explaining, I do the drawing. I say, <laughs> this is how I look like. This is how I want my hair to look like. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, the things that we learn as children can help us later in life for sure, even the little things. But you went through far bigger things than simply learning how to draw. So... Sarah, I'll go ahead and just open it up. Did you lose any of your family members during that period of time? Did everyone survive? Everyone in my immediate family survived. That's a miracle. But I lost many. Yeah, yeah. I lost many of my male cousins. But my family almost got wiped out in one gunshot. My mom didn't tell me until... Later, long, 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 many, many years later. What happened? During the time that the the whole country was liberated. Four months before I escaped. Four months, everybody was free. But, but during the time that was liberating, one uh, the, the Khmer was still in control. They still want people to go with them. But... A lot of people want to get away from them. My family want to get away from them. During the breakaway, they found my family all together. My mom, my dad, and three brothers all together, and they almost pulled the trigger. But my mom was so clever, and she sat down. 
my mom was very skinny. She had a stroke, and it's a long, long story about my mom's uh, struggle. But my mom sat down right away, and she said, "Stop! Stop! Don't shoot. Um, I'm just need a few minutes of pray. Look!" And she she opened her 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 shirt and show all the rib cage and all the bones. She was so skinny. She said, look at me, look at me. I am sick and I just need a little time for break. So they, they stopped pulling the trigger. Wow. And, and my, my brother, he was ready to run. When my mom said, stop, don't run. So, all at once, they almost get wiped out. It was so scary. Thank you for sharing um, these stories. And uh, and there are more stories in your book if people want to pick that up. One of the questions that um, uh, someone who follows me on Ibble was curious about is knowing how many people did die how do you how do you manage your feelings about being a survivor do you encounter any kind of survivor's guilt i know some people do is that something you struggle with or or no for me no because um we all struggle together like during the time in the infirmary some of my very close friends died. She cried out for me, reached out for help. But I myself was dying also. And I could not even crawl to touch her hand. All I can say is just say that I love you. And then she passed away. That was so close to me, but it's, it's, I'm not guilty of anything. I did my best. I, I, I love the people that I make friends with, and I love my family, and I lost a lot of cousins and my uncle. My uncle that, uh, that come from the city with me, he didn't make it. So... Yes, I feel so sorry that I lost them, but I don't feel, I don't carry the guilt that I'm a survivor because I did my very best to survive. I almost didn't make it myself. Yeah, I, so. I'm glad to hear that. I don't think there's any guilt to be carried. Uh, by your own description, if, if your belief is what it is, then it, then it's simply a miracle to be grateful for that you did survive. Um, do you have a sense of how this came to even happen? How, how did this even come to pass that this was possible in 1975, that so many people would be torn from their homes, pulled out of the cities to go work in the fields? H how did that come to pass? Do you have a sense of that? No, no, I did not expect that. If if I have a sense of that, I would not go to the college. Mm -hmm. I would stay home with my family. Mm -hmm. 
we did not expect that. We know that change might come, the uh, the um, the regime might might take place, but we did not expect the extreme that we have experienced. That's yeah. just. Yeah, I, I'm curious. There was so much chatter during this past couple of years during this global pandemic where things were shut down, where people were asked to stay in their home. And there was a lot of conversation amongst people about this is the beginning of tyranny and so on and so forth. I'm I'm curious, having been through an actual horrifying takeover of society, how you felt during this period of time? Did it bring back those memories or were you able to sort of go, this is different? Well, um, it brought back memory. It, it gave me some concern, but this is the pandemic that we are dealing with is the disease. Mm -hmm. And I I cannot relate. I, I don't, I don't, I don't connect the two dots. Uh, it, it it just caused some concern mm -hmm. for me, and I just want to um, to let people know that everything will pass um, because life is life has plenty of ups and downs, of challenge, problem, all the time. So this is one of mm -hmm. them. I think we have to deal with it and be clever, be smart about it. So um, for for that reason, um, I team up with one of my friends. She's also a, a refugee from Vietnam. She's from Vietnam. I'm from Cambodia. We met only one month before the pandemic. And we got to know each other. And we both live in Florida. And she got very, very nervous about about the pandemic. So she called me up. She said, I want to do something to calm people down, to help people dealing with the mental, with emotional um, you know, condition right now. So would you want to do the podcast with me? It's a live live show on, on Facebook. Oh, cool. It's not a full, full podcast. So we did a live, live Facebook show. We start out March 24. We do it every day, Monday through Friday from 5 to 5.30. We just talk among us, discuss and sharing. So <laughs> we, that's how we start. We want to just make sure that people are okay. Mm -hmm. You know, just, just talk to listen and have any questions, just reach out to us and all that so we did that and we're still doing until today that's great i guess that brings that does bring us to present day doesn't it so how do you feel the those experiences when you look at how other people are living their lives and kind of going from their day to day and experiencing the ups and downs of their own lives do you feel do you feel different from the from other folks that you encounter? Or do you feel like we're all kind of the same to varying degrees? How, how do you sort of place your experience amongst the rest of the people you encounter in Florida? 
Yeah, in a way, I feel like the same. But on the other hand, I feel a little mm -hmm. stronger. I feel like I have more resilience. I feel like I feel like I build my muscle against the uh, the, the the challenging time. So I'm not as fearful. Um, I'm more more at peace, more at peace and more secure. I think that experience helped me to be that way. You do seem quite because... calm, I will say. <laughs> quite calm indeed, which is part of why I asked you that question to begin with. So many people that I encounter have major meltdowns over minor things, um, what I would classify as something minor. But it's not because they have major meltdowns over minor things. It's because in their lives, those minor things feel pretty major. Um, what would you say to someone who is processing one of these moments in their lives that to them feels, you know, it feels like the end of the world, even though it's not necessarily a life or death experience? What, what would you just say to someone to give them guidance in those moments? Well, um, I would say that if you are experiencing anxiety, nervous and fearful, look for something to hold on to. In my case, when I was in the captivity, I hold on to my vision that one day I will be reunited with my family. I don't know if it's possible or not, but imagine, imagine the good possibility. So imagination is very powerful. You don't know how it's going to happen, but you believe that it's going to happen. Believe that everything will be will be mm -hmm. fine. Um, just trust, have faith, faith in the process. So I I like to compare living life like living in Florida. Florida have a lot of hurricane coming through. When the hurricane come, we all prepare and everything. But you know what? The hurricane did not stay forever. It come and then it go. So imagine our problem just like a hurricane. It only come by and then it go away. And if you can find your shelter, your something to, to hold on to, you will be safe. If if the authority want you to evacuate, you just obey the authority. And so that's how I, I view handling the anxiety, the nervousness, the worriness, and just hold on to something that you love, you appreciate, and you are you're hopeful for. It's beautiful. I'm curious, what do you think would have happened to you uh, had you refused to leave your home or had you not signed up to volunteer to go to another location or had you not signed up to be um, trained in something else? How do you think the story might have changed had those those specific decision points been different for you? Yeah. I never thought of that. That's a good question. <laughs> 
Well, if <laughs> if I did not sign up the very first time, they might detect, they might know that I am a college mm. student, and they, the college student, the people that have some kind of education, higher education, intellectual, or uh, go to the blacklist. They eliminate those people. So I might get eliminated long time ago. Another point that I, I like to share with the audience is this. We need to have a stronger resiliency. Resiliency is something that we need to well before things happen. Resiliency is like building the, your own saving account in mm -hmm. the bank. When you have a resiliency, you are more capable of handling the situation, the bad situation that throw at you. You are a better problem solver. You are stronger. You are more positive. You are optimistic. So building a resiliency is very important for anybody. Whether you come across the bad situation mm -hmm. or not, but having the resiliency built in it's a good thing. I deeply agree with that. I had a conversation just last night with a group of women that I meet with occasionally on Wednesdays. And one of the things that uh, a few a few months ago, I had kind of a, I had a lot of fear and anxiety about where the world was headed. And, um, and because of that, I had, I failed to notice where things were going well. And so I just kind of stopped and I I told them, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not, I'm not, I like, I'm still hanging out with them, but I'm no longer, I refuse to believe some of the fearful predictions about where things are going. I just refuse to believe it, that, that it will be, you know, the end of life as we know it, or that um, Americans are going to starve or go broke. Uh, these things are always possibilities, actually. And also possible Pelagias yeah. will get through this and be stronger, that things won't be as bad as are predicted. Things could be worse than predicted, but but assuming that it's going to be bad is not helpful to me in the present moment. What's better for me in the present moment right. is to look for evidence that things are going well, even if they're little clues. And the minute I made that shift, and I, this is something I've believed and I've helped clients with in the past, and yet here I was in this all, in my own moment. Um, the minute I made that shift, life immediately started getting better. Just, just focusing on where it is going well, and what could be better in the future, just shifted my everything. Shifted my everything. Yep. 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 There is a phrase that says, if you can stay positive in the negative situation, you win. Hmm. You win. So so it's not about a rah, rah, rah positive. No, you look for something meaningful, the positive, meaningful, something good to be grateful for. We can always find something good to be grateful for. Thank you, Sarah. It's so inspiring to talk with you. Before we end our conversation today, you know, what, what closing thoughts would you like people to walk away from this conversation and take with them? 
and also if there are things, of course, that you would like to let people know about so that they can get more of your wisdom, feel free to talk about that as well. Well, uh, I would like to leave with, with you all this thought that you are loved. You are loved by your family, by God. And that is very powerful story, very powerful energy that you should hold on to your, yourself whenever things doesn't go the right way, you hold on to that thought that you are love and believe that everything it will be in control. God is in control. Everything is possible. So just be open mind that thing is not as bad as you be fearful for. Be grateful for what you have and expect better things. So hope, I hope, hope is stand for having only positive expectation. <laughs> so if anybody needs some help personally guiding you to help you to have a calmer, peaceful life, reach out to me. I'll have links in the show notes. And Sarah, I once again really appreciate you sharing your story here on the Changed Podcast. Your insights have been welcome and wonderful. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. Ahead, my final thoughts. There have been times in my life where I complained about how something was going or I was fearful about how something might work out. And somebody said something to me like, and you've probably heard this too, you know, it could always be worse. And while that's true, most of the time that elicits a knee-jerk response in me that causes me to react in a negative way. I like what Sarah shared here, that actually the resilience needed to get us through uh, anxiety, the resiliency that we can develop to get us through the toughest of times, is not the mantra that it could always be worse, but actually the mantra that it could always get better. And I encourage all of us to do as Sarah suggests and dig down deep for an inspiring vision of a possible future that gives you hope. And know that while that won't necessarily predict the exact outcome you get, it really can get better from here. Thank you for supporting the show. Uh, please make sure to share this conversation if you found it valuable. And of course, if you're interested in reading How I Survived the Killing Fields, there will be a link to purchase the book in the show notes. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.